You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. We have been talking about the greatest verse in the Bible. Things that are the greatest are very subjective. The greatest movie, the greatest song, the greatest human. Most people would, no doubt, even if you're not a Christian, would say that Jesus is probably the most profound human on the planet. But there is something that is the greatest mystery on the planet, the greatest confusing thing on the planet. Anybody have an idea of what you think the greatest mystery on the planet is? Very close, because that is exactly, is what? Life after death? Well, I wouldn't say that's a great mystery, but it is a a great mystery, but not the greatest. I think you're pretty close because the greatest mystery is love. <laughs> and if you're a guy, you spend your whole life trying to figure out what is this thing called woman, right? I mean, I've been married 25 years, still trying to figure out myself in relation to my wife as far as love and all this. Um, the greatest mystery on the planet is love. And when Jesus was asked what the greatest command verse or law in the Bible was, he said the greatest is about love. One of the greatest mysteries, one of the most profound things in all of the world is love. And if we miss this greatest verse, we will stumble through the rest of our life. Here's the scenario. It's Jesus four days before his crucifixion. It's Tuesday. And Jesus is preaching the kingdom in Jerusalem just days before he's taken to the cross. He's pouring his heart out, but yet these religious people called the Sadducees and Pharisees, were always trying to corner him and entrap him and trick him and cause him to stumble in his words by asking him ridiculous questions. And so here he is on a Tuesday. He's preaching the kingdom. These guys show up and they start asking him questions. They ask him question number one, whose authority do you speak under? Tell us about authority. Who's the boss? Second question they ask, well, tell us about taxes and about the government. Should we pay our taxes? What's the deal with taxes in the government? And the third question they ask after he answered each one is, tell us about marriage. When people die, are we still married? And if you've been married more than once, who's your husband? Who's your wife? So they're always asking him just ridiculous questions. This with three, authority, government, and taxes, marriage, and family. The fourth question is a straight-up question about the Bible. For them, it was called the Torah. They practiced the first five books of what we call the Old Testament, and it was known as the Torah. And then the rest of the Old Testament was a mixture of what they called the prophets. So they said, Jesus, of all of the commands given in the Torah and the prophets and the other extra commands that we have as traditions, what's the greatest one? Well, trying to trap him and to to trick him, This is what happens. Mark chapter 12, also found in Matthew 22, verse 28, it says, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating and noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer to those other three questions. And so he asked him, of all the commandments, which one is the greatest? The most important one, the greatest one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Last week, that's kind of what we unpacked, that Jesus calls us to love him exclusively and completely, and that our love is expressed through our obedience to God. Then they ask this. uh, Well, we're going to focus on this. The second part, Jesus answered the first part, love the Lord. The second one is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. In Matthew, it's put this way, love your neighbor as yourself. The second one is like it. All the law and the prophets hang on these two things. Now, I want you to understand this. That phrase, the other one is like it, means, and the other one is the same, is comparable. We see this in Luke as well. Now, I want you to think about this. For me, it's easy to understand. Jesus said the greatest commandment is love the Lord God. I got that. And he says the other one is just as important, just as equal Love your neighbor. I don't know if you have a hard time understanding that, but we're reading this, and they're, they're hearing this, and Jesus says, all right, the most important thing, the greatest thing in the whole world is to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love him with everything you have completely. Everything is yours, God. And then he says, and the second one is just as important 
love your neighbor. So you're telling me, God, that to love other people is as important as loving you? That's what Jesus says. He says, if you can do this, you've fulfilled everything that God's ever asked you to do. Because all of the law, all of the entire Bible is wrapped up into these two things. To love God and love others. They are intimately intertwined. They are connected. Three parts to this verse. Love as yourself and your neighbor. I'm going to focus on the third one, but I want to talk about the first two for a second. And the first part is this, love. And it's important that we understand the definition of love here because love is not uh, an emotion. And love is not empathy. He's not saying to love your neighbor is to feel sorry for your neighbor. Oh, man, look at him out there. Oh, man, I feel bad about what they're going through. Man, that guy on the side of the road, oh, man, sucks to be you. So sorry, man, you know. You know, and it's not looking at someone's situation. Man, it must be hard for their family. They're sick or it must be tough for them. They lost their child. It's just, love is not an emotion and it's not empathy. It's not feeling bad for somebody. This is not what it means. A lot of times we think, well, I just care about them and I'm not doing anything, but I'm caring. It's empathy. You know, I can feel what they're feeling and I feel sad for them. Isn't that what he means? No, this, it's not what it means because love here is a verb. It's an action. It means compassion in action. I want you to realize that whenever the Bible talks about loving your neighbor, it's about showing and living and displaying and giving compassion to someone. It's not an emotion. It's an action. So we need to understand what this means when he says love. It means Acts of compassion. The second thing he says, as yourself. There's a couple of parts to this, and the first one is this, is that we are to care for others as consistently as we care for ourselves. I don't know about you, but I'm looking out around the room, and it looks like everybody has a shirt on. Everybody like, yeah. <laughs> Actually looked at your shirt, some of you. And I think most of you have shoes on unless you flipped your flip-flops off because it's comfortable. And I don't know if you're a breakfast person, but if you are, I'm sure you took the time to eat today. Most of you, you, uh, you worked on your hair, and I'm looking out at most of y'all, and some, most of you were successful. Your hair looks great. I was not so successful, I don't think, this morning. Women like, your, your hair looks the same every day. No, because I, I can tell. I don't have much, so I know when hair, there's a couple of them out of place, and that drives me nuts. He says this, love your neighbor as yourself. That means that we love others as consistently as we take care of ourselves. You don't one day go, you know what, I think I'm going to eat today. And then I think, I don't, I don't even think about eating again for another week. No, you eat every day. You try to. You, you put clothes on every day. I'm just curious, just curious. How many of you have a pillow? Who has a pillow? Raise your hand if you have a pillow, for real. If you have a pillow, you sleep with a pillow. That's almost everybody. The rest of you, you're liars or you're too lazy to lift your arms up. Okay? Most of us have a pillow, but we throw it on the ground. We have the option of a pillow. And daily we have this desire to make sure that we are taken care of. And Jesus says this, love your neighbors as consistently as you love yourself. And I don't know about you, but I take care of myself every day. So Jesus is saying, guess what? Caring for others, this whole neighbor thing that we're about to talk about, is not something that you do once a month. Or it's not something that you that just do whenever the announcement comes up and you want to be a part of it. He says, this is something that you're consciously aware of every day, just like you care about yourself every day. Second thing about this uh, as yourself part is this, is do you love yourself? He says, love your neighbor as yourself. You will always struggle to love others as long as you struggle to love yourself. So you'll never have a healthy marriage until you understand how deeply you are loved and how important and valuable you are to God. And some of us, we struggle with loving others because we don't love ourselves. And I think a lot of women particularly struggle with this area of, of insecurity, wondering if I'm valuable enough or important enough or lovable or lovely. And the answer is yes, you are. You are so deeply loved. You're so deeply cared for. You are worth love. This is a healthy love of yourself, not a pride or arrogant, just a healthy love of value of yourself. I know that God loves me. He cares for me. I am valuable in his eyes. And I love who 
who God made me and all my ridiculousness and weirdness and strangeness and, and, and deformities and stuff. God loves me and I love me and, and it's not a pride, arrogant thing, but I'm not going to be able to love you until I understand God's love for me. Until I understand that I am lovable and loving and that I can love myself in a healthy way. God loves you. He really does. He so radically, unconditionally loved you that he gave his life for you. To truly know love and to truly give love begins with knowing God's love for you and to love yourself because of that. And here's the third part, and this is what I want to focus on today. And that is I want to focus on love your neighbor. Now, the question is, who is our neighbor? There's two questions we're going to have to answer. The greatest verse says this. It says you'll always be, uh, that you will uh, know that you are my disciples by your obedience. That's what we talked about last week. But this one says they, the world will know that you are my disciples by your compassion, by your love. See, you want to know if you're a follower of Jesus Christ? Well, take a look in the mirror and see, are you honoring God with your life? Are you responding to the scriptures and to God's commands? Are you living out in a way that reflects God? When you look in the mirror, that's what you should be looking for if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. You will know that you are a disciple by your obedience. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. He said that over and over again. So look in the mirror. Are you walking in obedience to God to the best of your ability, finding grace in the areas that you fail? If you can look in the mirror and say, yes, I'm striving to be obedient, that's how you you know you are a follower of Jesus Christ. But how will the world know that you are a follower? It's by your compassion. It's easy to love those who are lovable. It's easy to love those uh, who, are, who are nice and kind and, and the ones that you want to love. But the gospel truly shines with those who are hard to love. And I want you to think of the most difficult person to love right now. Just, just think about it for a moment. Maybe it's a family member, maybe it's your coworker, maybe it's that, that kid at school or that person that, that, that just you run into occasionally, they're like, oh, you know, think about them for a minute. That's the person that you're to love, the greatest. John 13, 55 says this, uh, sorry, 35, Jesus says, and by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you memorize a lot of scripture. He doesn't say that, does he? He says, by this, people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's not if you quote a lot of verses and have a lot of scripture mugs and posters and post-its. It's not if you can ramble off a lot of the Bible. It's not if you give a lot. They'll know you are my disciples by how much you tithe and give into the offering plate. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, they will know that you are my disciples by how often you volunteer in the kids' ministry. How, if you can come early and clean the building before church, they'll know you are my disciple. He doesn't say that. If you can sing songs and worship and play really good guitar and have some tears on those slow songs, if you can do that, they'll know that you are my disciple. He doesn't say that. He says, if they can see how you vote, they'll know that you are my disciple. If you just vote this particular party, they'll know that you are my disciple. He says, no, this is not it. He says, they will know you are my disciples by your compassionate actions, by your love. He demonstrated this in Romans chapter 5. This is the love demo. The apostle Paul is talking to the church in Rome, and he says this. He says, at just the right time... When we were still powerless in our sin, he says, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8 says, God demonstrated this. He demos this love. He demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 10, he says, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. He demoed this attitude on love with us. Is that while we were enemies, haters of God, arrogant, prideful, uninterested in God, he loved us. He says, you want to know what love looks like? He says, you love like that. That is how love looks in the scriptures to those that hated him. Everything about the Bible is upside down. He says, you want to win, you got to lose. 
You want to be found, you must realize that you're lost. You want to be healed spiritually, you must recognize that you are sick. You want to be first, you got to be last. You want to be the greatest, you got to be the least. You want to know love, you've got to give love to those that despise and hate you. Love your enemies. Pray for those that... uh, that despise you and hurt you and, and curse you. Bless those that curse you, he says. This, this whole idea of how to live the gospel is opposite of everything that we understand. Think about it. Who does God love? He loves the lost. He loves the forgotten. He loves the poor. He also loves the rich. He loves the victim, but he also loves the guilty. He loves the victimizer. It's hard to love. The Bible talks a lot about how we are to love those in prison. Jesus says this is what it looks like. This is what the Messiah came to do is to care for those that are in prison and to visit those who are in prison. And guess what? Most of them are all guilty. Most of them did terrible things to be in there. And they deserve to be in there. Some of them are not guilty and the, the justice system failed them. But most people in prison are guilty, and Jesus says, I love them, and so are you. See, we often think of the victims. Well, Jesus says, but love the victimizers as well, the hard to love. Luke 10, 25, this is their version of the greatest verse, and there's a man that comes up to Jesus, and he says this, on one occasion, an expert of the law, that's someone who memorizes the Bible, this is the guy who knows everything, stood up to test Jesus. He said, teacher, He asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? What do you think? And this is what the man said. Well, the man answered, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. That's what we talked about last week. And he says, and love your neighbor yourself. Jesus then says, Ding, 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 ding. You win. Win a win a chicken dinner, right? You, you just won the prize. You, he says, you have answered correctly. Jesus replied, do this and you will live. Now, Jesus is implying that this man doesn't do this. And we're about to know which one he doesn't do by the next thing that this man says. The next verse tells us, he says, but the man answered. He wanted to justify himself. And he says this. So he asked, well, who is my neighbor. Like, who is really, you know, to justify? That means he wanted to know how little do I have to love this metaphorical neighbor person, right? Who is my neighbor? Who, you know, define for me who exactly is my neighbor. It's a strange question to ask. Basically, he was saying, how little can I love someone and still be okay with God? What is the minimum amount of love needed? How little do I have to know my neighbor? How few times do I have to talk to that person at work? That's like like a parent asking, how many diapers do I have to change on my baby? Mothers, how many diapers do you have to change? A lot. All of them. That's the answer. It's all of them. You don't go, my daily diaper quota has been met. You're sitting in that poop for the rest of the night. (laughs) It's your turn, (laughs) right? But every one of them gets changed. That's That's a dumb question. How little... Can I do and it still be okay? Or maybe that's like like uh, asking a husband, how many flyer, how many flowers will get me out of trouble for what I said last night? How many flowers will make up for my stupidity? Uh, none will make up for it. You just need to do different and <laughs> be different and say you're sorry. But flowers are a nice gesture. But there's not a price tag on the flowers. There's not a number on the twelve. Okay, I know you meant it. One what? One, right? It's not about a number. There's no love in that question. That's the point. Jesus responds with a story known as the parable of the Good Samaritan. He introduces six characters. We're going to focus on five of them. And he says, you want to know who that neighbor is? You want to know what love looks like? Let me tell you a story. This is what he says. Chapter 20 of Luke, verse 30. In reply, Jesus says, well, let me tell you who your neighbor is. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of some robbers. Now, this little stretch of road is called the Bloody Way. And it was in between Jerusalem and Jericho. It was a 300-foot elevation drop. 
and it was uh, seven miles of dangerous valley. So for seven miles, people were at risk. This was a shorter route than going up and around. This was down and through a valley. It was dark, and it was scary. And if you went alone, there were uh, a chance that you could get robbed because thieves and robbers uh, hid in the cleft of the rocks and would jump out and attack the vulnerable. He says, so this man, uh, he was going down through the bloody way, and he fell into the hands of some robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, the sad reality is that there are people all around us in genuine need in our community, in our neighborhood, and, and we don't have to look very far to find people. Now, here's what happened. A priest, this is a minister. He happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Guy's dirty. He's nasty. I got things to do, places to go. So to a Levite. Now, who's a Levite? Let me put it this way. Levite is a tribe or a family member. It's like his last name. Levite was the name of one of the 12 sons of Jacob. And the 12 sons of Jacob made up the 12 tribes of Israel. And these 12 tribes had different regions of Israel where they were living and given land. Everybody but the Levites were given land. The Levites were given one responsibility, care for the house of God, be in church every day, take care of the temple, take care of the tabernacle, and just uh, be, basically the Levites were the worship band, the worship singers, the people open and unlock the church. Basically, they're the people that grew up in church their whole life. And everything they knew was all about serving God, going to church, and being plugged in to the things of God. So this Levite represents basically those with a religious heritage. So you got the the minister, you got the priest who just, nope, walked on around. Now you got the church-going guy who grew up in church, knows everything about the Bible. says, and so to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Man, he crossed the street and walked around him. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, maybe they had good reasons. Maybe the, the minister couldn't stop because he had a hospital visitation he was going to. How ironic that would be, huh? I'm sorry, I can't help you. I'm visiting the sick. I can't help you right now. I can't, I can't help you because my, I've got a church member who's, who needs help, uh, you know, fixing their car. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm on my, I've got something to do. I've got an appointment. I've got a place to go. Now, maybe they had a, a good reason, but even a good excuse can lead to a wrong response. But something happened. So he says, but a Samaritan. Now, at this point, if you were in that room when that happened, everybody would have gone, <gasps> because a Samaritan was the villain of the Jewish people. Every Jewish person hated the Samaritans. They were a mixed tribe of people that weren't part of the original 12, and they didn't belong there. They had descendants that were Jewish that kind of drifted away, mixed with other nationalities and other people, so they were despised and looked down upon. They had their own way of worship. They didn't follow all of the scriptures like the Jewish people, so they just didn't like them. In fact, they called them dogs and referred to throwing the Samaritans crumbs like animals and dogs and treated them less than human being. In fact, they would travel from one point, like in Jerusalem, to uh, North of Jerusalem to uh, like uh, Judea or Nazareth, and they would spend a whole extra day going all the way around Samaria rather than walk right through it. They didn't want to look at them. They didn't want to touch them. They didn't want to drink from the same wells from them. These were the villains of the Jewish people. But Jesus is about to make this villain the hero of the story. If we could only understand how offensive this was to them, here comes Jesus. He goes, but a Samaritan, and all of a sudden his disciples said, start the car. They're going to jump us. (laughs) Keep it running. Like, oh, no, he didn't, dude. Get ready to run. Grab your stuff. Put the stuff in the car. Who would be the most offensive person for you? Think about someone. Who might be uh, an offensive person? person for you. Maybe, you know, we live in a culture now where there's a lot of uh, fear of terrorism, 
And so a lot of times we have these stereotypes of Middle Eastern people, and we immediately think, well, ugh, you know, they're probably a Muslim. You know, they probably want to kill me. They probably have it out for me. And so we have this stereotype of negativity towards racial groups just like they did. They had racialized and hated and made the villain a racial group of people called the Samaritans. And some of us in culture, we sadly do it today in churches and around the country, we say Arab people. We think, man, these are the people that, well, you never know, can't trust them. You know, they might be trying to kill me. Who is it for you? Who's the villain in your story, in your life? People who you give up on, the unlikely hero. Well, this is what he says. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw the man, he took pity on him. He had compassion. And he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey. He took him to an inn, and then he took care of him. And the next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. He said, look after him. And when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Now, he introduces five characters, and I need Six volunteers. Who can volunteer for me? I need five, uh, six volunteers. Okay, you can't be afraid to have a little fun, all right? So uh, come on down here. Go ahead and stay right, right down here. Six people, okay? One, two, three. Are you coming down to volunteer? Okay. All right, one, two, three, four. I need one more. All right, five, I need one more. I need a sixth person to volunteer. All right, Sam. All right, I'm going to give you guys, we're going to retell the story of the Good Samaritan, okay? All right, I'm going to make you the religious person who goes to church all the time, who volunteers in church, that's the deacon, all right? And I'm going to make you a thug, <laughs> all right? And I'm going to make Tiny a thug, too, all right, because they're kind of scary, all right, I'm going to, Sam, he's our new youth pastor, so I'm going to make you the pastor, all right, and I'm going to make you the Arab, hey. <laughs> and I'm going to make you anybody, all right, so I'm going to retell the story, and uh, I want the, uh, the thugs to come over here for me, all right, thugs come over here, and uh, I want you to join these guys, and all of you go over here, okay, and then when we get to the part of the story where uh, you're going to be introduced... You just come on out, and you just have some fun with it and uh, retell the story. All right, here we go. A modern retelling of the Good Samaritan. Uh, anybody, you want to get ready here in front, okay? Uh, not you. You're going to stay back here. I'm going to call for you, Deacon, okay? All right, here we go. A southern redneck was walking through the south side of Los Angeles when he fell into the hands of a couple of thugs. Okay, go ahead, keep beating him up, but don't do what I'm about to say. They stripped him of his sneakers and clothes, and they took his iPhone, and they beat him and left him for dead. All right, take his shoes, and go ahead, and you guys can leave. I don't know if you can see it. He's laying on the ground. All right, here we go. Pastor, a pastor saw the man, stopped and looked at him, and walked around him on the other side of the street. Then a deacon came, and he saw the man, and he walked around him as well and passed by on the other side of the street. Then an Arab man came. And saw him and helped him up. Well, you, yeah, you're supposed to help him up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're going to pick him up. You set him on the steps for a minute here. And uh, you're going to, you saw him, wrapped his wounds, okay, gave him medicine, put him in your car so you can sit right here and you can drive him, and you drove him to a Holiday Inn. After getting to the Holiday Inn, you go to the front counter at the Holiday Inn, and using your own credit card, you pay for the man's room at the hotel. 
and then you let him sleep in and you go to work. Okay? And then the next day you come back and you pray for all his pay. Yeah, yeah, no, on the next day you come back and you pay for all of his pay-per-view. <laughs> Thank you. Now, Jesus, stay here where you are. Then Jesus asked, which one of these, you can fade the music out. Jesus asked, which one of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Who do you think? Who do you think it was? It would be that man. Well, the expert in the law who asked Jesus the question what a neighbor is, he couldn't even say the word Samaritan. He goes, that one. He says, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, well, then go and do it. Go and do likewise. All right. Thank you guys for your help. You can put the signs on the front row. There's a modern day retelling of the Good Samaritan. Now, a lot of us, we read this and we hear the story and we don't like this story. We don't like it because it asks us to do things that we want to explain away. Uh, we want to choose who to love. And so immediately when he says, love your neighbors, like, well, I'm only going to love those who deserve it. I'm only going to love the people who are loving, who are nice, and who, who deserve some kind of respect. I'm only going to respect those that deserve respect. And I'm only going to be kind to those who are kind. I'm only going to be loving to those that are nice and, and are going to pay it back or pay it forward or whatever, you know. But we read the story, and that's not what it says. And we don't like that because we want to choose who to love. We also don't like like it because we want to choose our neighbors. We're like, you know what? I want to choose who I'm going to hang out with. I want to choose who I want to be with because of common interests or, or common, uh, you know, uh, likes and dislikes. You know, I, I want to choose who I'm going to be hanging out with. Another reason we don't like this is because we want to choose how to help. You know, I want to choose what I can do, when I can do it, and how much. And this story is the opposite of all those three things. And obviously we don't like this because we also want to choose not to help. Uh, that's the reality of our life is that, you know, when we're presented with an opportunity of need, we're like, well, I get to choose whether I'm going to help. Some of you will even say so much that it's more help to not help them. How are they going to spend that money? You know, you see a homeless guy on the street, you know, like, well, you know what? Helping them would only hurt them. And so we, we like to explain away how we are going to help somebody, but this story blows all of that right out of the water. Because you know what's interesting about this story? Well, is this. First question we must answer is, who is my neighbor and who is he talking about? And here's the answer to that question. Is anyone God brings across my path? Anyone means anyone. You see, we think as long as I'm good with anyone, as long as it doesn't mean everyone, right? It's like anyone, got to check, I'm going to fill that blank in. Anyone God brings across my path, as long as it's not really everyone. It's only the ones I like or want to like or have time for or have convenience for. You see, this is what's interesting. The man in the story was the only one without a name and a background. He was the only one without a nationality, and you had no idea there was no culture or ethnic, uh, uh, ethnicity attached to him. He was completely generic. We knew nothing about him. We didn't know if he deserved help or if he, was, if he had just robbed someone just before he was robbed. We don't know anything. We don't know if he had ever spent time in prison. We don't know if he was a homeless guy. We don't know if he was a good husband or if he treated his wife badly or if he was a good father. We don't know anything about him because it didn't matter. At that moment, he was in need. He could be anyone with no restrictions on who anyone is. Every character in the story has a nationality or a background or a dialect. Well, who is that person? He was just a person. He was anybody. Loving the people you don't like, the people you despise, the people you would rather let suffer, who is that person for you? Your neighbor begins with you, begins with those who cross your path every day. If a need is in front of you, it's your need no matter who they are. Here's the second question we got to ask is what does it mean to love my neighbor? Well, fill this in. Love means to treat them exactly the way that you want to be treated. Jesus told them in Luke chapter 10, he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and with all your mind, 
and love the Lord as yourself. This is central to the Christian life. Guys, listen, this kind of love is not the gold package. I'll take Christianity with the gold package. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy in on the low end. Just salvation, please. And then over the years, I'm going to invest more and more into this whole Christian thing. And I'm going to upgrade to the love package where i got to love my neighbor. This is not what it is. This is not the bonus round. All right, spend for salvation. And now, guys, listen, he says, love the Lord your God with our hearts, your mind, and strength. And the other one as the same is equal as just like it. Love your neighbor. You see, love begins with understanding that you are loved and that we are to give that regardless of who that person is. This is at the core of our faith. This is, this is inseparable with the love of God. It's a double love from us and a love from God. This is not just for the mature. So you guys are like, well, I'm just glad I'm saved. I'm just glad I'm part of the, the train trip. I'm just glad I'm part of the bus ride, you know, to heaven, you know. But that whole love thing, God's working on me. He's working on all of us, by the way. And none of us do this perfectly. But this is not something that you strive for later on in your life. This is right up front. Love God, love others. It means loving them exactly the way you want to be treated. Paul repeated it in Romans chapter 13. He says, let no debt remain outside except the continuing debt to love one another. By the way, you can't out-love somebody. You don't go, man, you know what? That's all the love you're going to get out of me. I've given you too much love. I've forgiven you too many times. I've given you grace too often. And I've reached my max, my Love, you've emptied my love account, and I have nothing left to give to you, or you're still in debt. He says there's no debt there's a, there, except the continuing debt. There's no way to pay this off. You don't stop paying off love. There's no continuing debt except to love one another, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Verse 9, the commandments, you should not commit adultery, uh, you should not murder, you should not steal, you should not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be, they're all summed up in this one command. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. God's original game plan, love God, love people, that's it. Man, you want to know how to be a Christian, love God, love people, that's it. Man, I don't know much about the Bible, man. I have a hard time reading books. I man, I don't know. I my, my memorization is not good. I man, I got us. Here's the plan. Love God, love people. That's it. I don't know where to start, man. I'm I'm new to Christianity. I'm new to this whole thing. I I, I feel like I'm in this perpetual growth stage my whole life. Here's all you get. Here's the plan. Love God, love people. That's it. Grow in this. The Apostle Paul says it again in Galatians chapter 5 to the churches in Galatia. He says the entire law or the entire Bible, all that we have in Scripture is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. James, the half-brother of Jesus, declared it in his letter in James 2a. He says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself and you're doing right. Well, what's the royal law? What is the golden rule? Well, Jesus said it in Matthew 7. He says this, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. That is the whole of the command. We usually live, do unto others as they did unto me. You treat me like crap, I'm going to treat you like crap. You talk bad about me, I'm going to talk bad about you. You talk bad about somebody that I like and love, I'm going to disown you, and I'm going to talk bad about you too. We pick and choose how we're going to love. And Jesus says, <laughs> love God, love people. And that means anybody and everybody, even the hardest people to love. Loving those around us is not extra credit. I've got to, I'm going to let you in on a ministry secret, okay? This is ministry language that we share in leadership. There's a, it's called EGR. Anybody ever heard of EGR before? EGR stands for Extra Grace Required. And there are individuals that are EGRs that just, Lord, give me extra grace with this person. <laughs> all right? They're the people who might be calling all the time or always seem to be reaching out, uh, need help, and you're like, you, they, they just need extra Grace. You just they just need a little extra love. And you're like, God, help me have patience for these EGRs. And so sometimes in ministry, you're like, hey, this person's an EGR. Just have an extra patience with them. Just have extra love. When we give that EGR, God's not up there going, man, that was tough for me to watch. I don't know if I could have done that. Man. 
Jesus isn't looking down when we show extra love, when we do something right. He's not going, whoo, man, that was a tough one. I don't know if I would have even done that. Hats off to you, brother. No, you know what? This kind of love is not extra credit. He's not impressed by this. This is like the expectation at the front. Love God, love others. Love God, love others. Who's the others? Everybody, anybody, even the hard to love, expecting, especially the hard to love. You want to know how the kingdom of God grew in this very way? You see, when Jesus ascended into heaven after the resurrection, there was 120 people in a a room in Jerusalem praying for their life and their safety when the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And 120 people within a generation grew to nearly a million people. How did that happen within two generations? Millions of people. And within 300 years, it took over an entire nation and became the religion of the entire Roman Empire nearly uh, 500 million to a billion people. How did that happen? Love. But here's what happened. As religion became institutionalized, the love began to fail. And today we have a culture that is struggling to grow in faith. We have a population that is growing at three times the rate, while the Christian rate is only growing about one Uh, One time per year. That means this is how we're growing. This is the church. This is the world. This is how the world's growing. The gap of those that don't know Jesus is getting wider and wider. And we think, hey, man, attendance is growing. It's going great. No, because we're not growing at the rate that the population is growing. And you know why? Because when you think of a Christian, the first thing that comes off people's mind is judgmental, hypocrites, negative, angry, full of rules. They're not nice descriptions when you ask people what they think about Christians. But he says, they will know that you are my Christians by your love, but yet we are lacking that kind of love. And because of that, the world is not seeing Jesus. And because of that, we're not growing as a community, as a faith. The second question is this, is what does it mean to love? Well, it means to love them exactly the way that we want to be treated. Loving those around us is not extra credit. How far do we go with this? Let's be honest with this, is that the world is hurting and we can literally empty out our bank accounts and there would still be hurting people. Right? So what does this mean? How do we dodge the landmines of emotional overload for the needs of others? I want to wrap up with this few thoughts. Here's some thoughts from the side of the road on how to love others, some road rules. The first one is this, loving others, these are all from this story, loving others goes beyond good intentions. See, that good Samaritan did not say, hey, man, man, you look terrible. Let me pray for you. Okay, God bless you, man. God bless you. Hope it goes well for you. You know, silver and gold have I none, but I'll pray for you. You know, like we use that verse as like just kind of an out. Hey, man, sorry, I've just got enough for my meal for later on. I've got enough money for me, but I don't have enough money for you. He didn't just say a prayer and hope somebody else would help him. He did it. Loving others goes beyond good intention. I think of Sam, and I mentioned this in first service, and I didn't get your permission, so I'm going to mention it in second service without your permission. And that is uh, a few weeks ago, uh, when it was still cold outside, we had finished uh, Bible study, and he was hanging out here and helping me, and I had another appointment, and he left And he had come across the path of someone whose car was broken down, and it was cold, and it was yucky weather outside. And he proceeded to push this guy and his car for several blocks. He, he's texting me, who, who, you know, he comes back here, he, he can't breathe, he's getting sick, and he's like, it's like a, you know, I'm like, do I need to call a hospital? You know, do you need to go to the, you know. You know, he did something that was incredibly inconvenient for him because that's what you do when you love your neighbor. Loving others goes beyond good intentions. He didn't go, sucks to be you, you know. That's our, that's our attitude when we see someone, when we, when we are seeing a person's need. It's understanding that my needs are now my responsibility. I'm sorry, that, that their needs are now my responsibility. When you see someone who's in need, all of a sudden you go, well, you know what, that's my need. That person's stuck on the side of the road. Well, guess what? You're now stuck on the side of the road. His plans got changed. Well, guess what? Boom, your plans just got changed. I think of Sean. I called him a few months ago, and I said, hey, man, it is freezing rain outside. I've got this person who's living in the woods, and they need a place to stay. And you know what he did? He took them into his home. 
And you guys let this person stay there. And now this person's got himself back on the right track and got his own place. And he's uh, working towards uh, his own place. He's got his own job. He's got his own vehicle. I mean, that is not a good intention. That is love in action. That is compassion. That is what you do when you love your neighbor as yourself. Here's another thing about this road rules thoughts from the side of the road is that loving others won't have impact until you have contact. The good Samaritan got his hands dirty. He didn't just throw money at him and go, oh, you know, here, man, when I get to the next town, I'll send somebody back. Here's some dough. Here's some bread. Here's some, you know, he didn't, he got his hands dirty. He touched the man. He got his, he got his hands. He might have ripped his own clothes to wrap the bandages on him. He, he gave him medicine out of his own, uh, you know, out of his own sustenance. He, he, he gave and got his, man, he, he bandaged the man up. His hands are bloody with somebody else. He's in the dirt. He's in the grime. Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Anybody here like salt? Do you like it on your food or in the shaker? You like it on the food because it has no value in the shaker. It only has value when it makes contact with the food. Salt in the Old Testament was not just a flavor, it was also a preservative. And it would have no value until it made contact. Guys, listen, Jesus says, you want to love the world? You want to make a difference in the world? Make contact with the world. He goes on to say, he says, but if the salt loses its saltiness, if it doesn't make contact, if it doesn't work, he says, how can it be made salty again if it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot? We're to make contact. If we don't make contact, it's not relevant. Verse 14, he says, you're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. He says, man, we're not to live in a, in a little holy bubble. You know, I went to Bible college. And it was like for two and a half years, it was like this bubble of like, it was like everything was Christian. Everything. We couldn't watch TV for two years. I came out and I was like, this new show is awesome. <laughs> it's been out for three years. I'm like, oh. I binged on Roseanne. <laughs> that was the no-no show back then. I was like, she's funny. She reminded me of my mom. Exactly. I'm, I'm not kidding. But we're not to live in this bubble. Not like monks. We're not to separate ourselves from the world. So what good are you if you're just kind of hidden in your own little basket world? He says, man, you know, you take that basket off, take the bubble out. He says, instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your God, uh, glorify your Father in heaven. Your good deeds, that's love and compassion. He says, man, get out of the bubble for crying out loud. Make contact with people. Some of you are so afraid to talk to people, to touch people, to help people. Get out from underneath the basket. Get out there. Here's the third thing, road rules, is that loving others without sacrifice is just convenience. Hey, Ted, man, I agree 100% with what you're saying. I do an outreach every third full moon. Every time there's a full moon in the spring and summer equinox, I do an outreach. I have it on my calendar. You know what that is? That's convenience to make you feel better about being a part of outreach. There's nothing wrong with scheduling outreach. Those are great times where we as a community can get on the same page and do something together. But if that's the only time that you're being a person who's loving your neighbor and outreach, then you're missing the point because this is not a matter of convenience. If you are only serving others when it's on your calendar, that's not sacrifice. Love is sacrifice, by the way. You know it's love because it hurts a little bit and it costs you something, right? That's how you know you love your kids because you don't sleep as much and you lose all your money, right? That's how you know you love your kids. You show it. You give it, right? It's not a calendar thing. It's a daily sacrificial thing. But if the only time you're loving others is when that shows up on the third month or once a month or when that cycle of rotation of your volunteer pops up, then that's not outreach. That's not sacrifice. That's not love. That's convenience. And that's purely just helping your conscience to feel better about your responsibility to love others. 
We can't always schedule outreach. We don't know where that Samaritan was headed. We don't know. It might have been important. He might have been going to, to work. He might have been going to, to some place where he was actually going to help somebody else. But whatever it was, wherever he was going, it changed the moment that person came across his path. It was inconvenient. We can't always schedule. We have to live it with our eyes open. Loving others will impact our schedules and our time. Some of us are so busy you miss the need around you. You're just like that, that religious person who says, man, I got other things to do. I got places to go. I got a schedule to meet. And so you miss it because you're just so busy. Loving others will sometimes cost you money. You're like, I would help them, but, you know, I don't I only have enough money for me. Well, you seem to be doing okay. I think you can give a little bit to help that person. I really do. Well, it's like, you don't know my situation, I'm poor. You're the richest 1% in the entire world. Somehow you were able to make it to church today. Every one of you, your clothes look pretty clean. Your hair looks pretty good. Some of you are making it just fine. It's not about emptying your bank account for people. It's giving what you can in relation to what you're able to give. This is about seeing need and making it inconvenient. This is how you know it's God. Loving others is uncomfortable. Man, for this guy, it was smelly. It was bloody. It was awkward. And sometimes loving others is just inconvenient. And this is what this story tells us. Fourth thing is this. Justice without Jesus is just a Band-Aid. There's great awareness of the world problems and those in need. There's wonderful organizations that attempt to meet the needs of others. But let me tell you something. If Jesus is not a part of the answer, then it's just a Band-Aid on a hemorrhaging body. See, we have organizations that are just throwing money at wells, you know, to dig a well for someone. That's great, man. You're providing water. But what does a profit? Jesus says this um, in 836 of chapter uh, of the Gospel of Mark. says, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Yeah, it's great, man. You have a latrine now in your own house. That's amazing. You're able to grow your own food. Let me tell you something. There's bigger problems than well water and clothing. You could run around these villages with toms on your feet, but your soul could be lost. Poverty, injustice, and bad health are not life's greatest problems. We have a broken and sick soul that needs help. Let me say this. Jesus is the only hope of the world. It's not good actions or good deeds. Our theme verse for our church, John 14, 6, is Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is the only hope of the world. Social justice movement and liberation theology, I don't know if you ever heard it. There's a lot of churches that teach that Jesus came to bring justice. They teach kind of a socialistic gospel, uh, but they clearly miss the point of the gospel because the gospel is not, hear me out, the gospel is not an action. The gospel is a message. This is crucial Maybe you've heard it said, go out and preach the gospel, you know, and, 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 you know, and if all else fails, use words. And we're like, oh, man, that's profound. No, that's wrong. That's theologically wrong. That is wrong. You know what the gospel is? The word gospel means good news. And you know what that is? That's a message. The gospel, the only hope of the world, is a message. It's not a bottle of water or a sewage system. The gospel is a message. What we do is the result of the gospel, that love is the actions of compassion that follow. So you can feed the homeless all day long and put someone in some new shoes or give them some new clothes, but that's not the gospel. The gospel is a message. What Jesus did is he often met the needs first, healed the sick, fed the hungry, but he always preached the kingdom because the kingdom is news. It's a message. The gospel is good news. Look at this. This is what Paul said in Romans. He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? How can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent that is why the scriptures say how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. The gospel is a message, but with the gospel there is acts of compassion. Guys, listen. This is important because justice without Jesus is just a band-aid. 
And it won't fix or solve the real issues of their heart and their soul. Here's the fifth thing, and I want to end with this thought right here, is that love starts today. The Samaritan did not schedule a start day. He didn't see the guy and go, oh, man, I tell you what, if I, if I come back and he's there tomorrow, I'm going to help him tomorrow. Maybe you've been in your car and you've seen someone in need and you're like, oh, man, I just can't help them today. But if they're there tomorrow, I'm going to help them tomorrow. If they're, I'm gonna, if they're there in a month from now, I'll help them in a month. You know, I've got, it's not something that you can plan ahead on. He was ready today for whatever God brought across his path. Your mission starts today as you walk out these doors. Your mission begins now. This is, the, this is the core of love God now and love others now. Listen to this. There's a myth. The myth that somehow the needs overseas are not as, uh, that the needs overseas are more noble as the needs next door. Somehow we've got this impression that, that we see the efforts to reach the people across the street as less valuable as the needs across the seas where did that ever come from? This is what I love about Youth with a Mission, by the way. We've got some Youth with a Mission folks here. Is They have a base here in Wiley. And, you know, they go through training, DTS training, discipleship training for several months here in the area. And they don't just sit there and read books and learn about world needs and their little YWAM bubble. You know what they do? They have outreach throughout the week and throughout the month where they go and serve in places in Wiley and surrounding areas. Because they know that they're about to send these kids out, these students out, around the world for several months, some of them for six months or more, and they know if they're going to minister overseas, they got to go across the street first. And that means they don't have to wait to be a missionary. They get to be a missionary today. And this is what the gospel is all about. This is what it says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus is resurrected from the dead. He says, hang back. I'm going to send you power. And when power showed up, they became powerful witnesses. And this is what it says. But you will receive power, this is Jesus talking, when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's the people like us, near us. That's our neighbor. That's uh, the, the ones we go to school with. That's our friend. They're like us. They're near us. They, they, they have the, thing, the same culture as you. And then he says, and in all Judea. That's like us, but not near us. Those are the people across town, across the state, or somewhere in the United States are going to go help out in, in some kind of, uh, you know, hurricane relief efforts. These are people that are somewhat like us and culturally like us, uh, but they're not near us. Those, that's the Judea. And then there's the Samaria. Those are the people that are not like us, but they're near us. They don't talk like us. They don't look like us. They don't, they don't have the same culture as us, but they're near us. And he says, you're to go to those people too. And then he says, and to the ends of the earth. That's the people not like us and the people not near us. And that's what we think of when we think mission work. We think, man, we think getting, you know, saving up money for six months and planning this trip and getting on a plane and walking out and these you know, people are speaking all these languages and the smells are different. And you're like, man, this is mission work. Guess what? It begins in Jerusalem. It begins with the people that are just like you, that are near to you. He didn't jump to the ends of the earth. He says, man, it begins in your own backyard. It starts in Jerusalem. We get excited to go on missions thousands of miles away, but never lead someone to Christ in our own community. This is sad and it's disappointing. But love starts today. We are to go, but not at the cost of neglecting our neighbor. The reality is it's sometimes easier to parachute in for a week and love them to, than to live in love every day with the people who drive us nuts. We go on trips and share Jesus with every smelly, angry person we see. But if our neighbor and their dog doesn't stop barking, we're about ready to call the cops. Say this with me if you are a Christian. Say this with me. I am a missionary today to the people around me today. Walking out love that changes, you don't have to read this part. <laughs> walking out love changes the roads we walk. 
So I want to ask this question. Who are you in this story? Are you the robber, the person who uses and victimizes people? Jesus loves you and cares for you and has grace for you. Are you the any man? Are you someone in need? Are you the person who is abused, hurting, and feeling alone today? There is help here for you today. Are you the religious, maybe too busy to care, leaving it for somebody else? It's time to mature into this love that God's called you to. Or maybe you're the Samaritan, the person who others have given up on, but Jesus didn't, and who's decided to live out and love his neighbor. Or maybe you're the innkeeper, that mystery person who's a person of resource. Those people are just as important as the Samaritan. But I think most of us are character number seven. And that's the guy who asked Jesus the question, how little can I do and still love them? And I think that's where most of us are. Okay, Ted, I'm hearing this message, but really, how little can I do? It's the wrong question. That's not a question of love. Love God, love others. That's the greatest verse in the Bible. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, God, that right now you're in this room convicting us and moving on our heart. Jesus, help us to love our neighbor. God, I believe there's some people here that are hurting, that have been abused, and they feel like they've been left on the side of the road emotionally. I pray that they would know that you are here with them to heal their heart. God, I believe there's some people in this room who are convicted that they have been the victimizer, that they have used and hurt people. God, I pray that you would let them know that you care and love them as well and that there's forgiveness for what they've done. But God, I believe most of us here are just trying to figure out how little we can do. God, help us to change that attitude, to change that that heart that we have, that we would have a soft heart for the world like you have a heart for the world. Wherever you're at among that scale, would you just take a moment and talk to Jesus right where you are? Just tell him, Jesus, I'm, I'm this person. I'm the robber, or I'm the thief, or I'm the Samaritan. God, I want to be the Samaritan. And maybe you're a person in need. And Will you just talk to Jesus? God, I need you this morning. Will you forgive me of my sin? Will you wash me clean? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. God, thank you for your healing grace and power. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.